That pine tree, you know, blowing like that <clears throat> reminds me of hole number six on Pebble Beach. You know. <laughs> Except there's no ocean behind it. That's the only difference, but it looks just like that. I'm glad you're here today, but I wonder, why did you come? You know, why did you come to worship? When you stop and think about it, this experience coming out for worship every weekend is an unusual thing across the world and in the American culture. We go to theaters, see movies, and we might go to a play downtown at the Fox or uh, some other uh, venue. We go to concerts. I know that uh, a lot of people went to the Garth Brooks concert or uh, uh, one of the Christian concerts that's been in town recently. I hear that. But where do you ever go to the same place week in and week out at the same time with the same people. It's really an unusual thing. And, and then you sit here, you know, we're not here to entertain you. It's, it's not going to be something necessarily fun. It's going to be challenging. And, and where do you go to listen to a lecture? Every week, week in and week out. It's kind of an unusual thing. So it's not a trick question. Why did you come to worship today? Some of you might have just come out of habit you know, since I was a child, my folks took me to worship. I mean, when my mama used to have to carry me, they took me to worship. And so it is a part of my life. And, and that's not a bad reason. In fact, I don't think there's any bad answer to that question. You know, why do you come to be in the presence of the Lord? Why do you come to God's house? There's no wrong answer to that question. Did you come because your friends are here? You know, it's good to connect with them. You know, uh, we now have a condo that we own in Florida, but we like to spend most of our time here because this is where our friends are. That's not a bad thing. Or to meet new people. Or to be a part of an organization that's making a difference in things that matter. The older you grow in life, the more you realize just how important that is, that you not just be frivolous with your time or with your life, that you engage in things that make a difference. And when you engage in things that make a difference in eternal ways, that's really special. And we get to do that here. We get to change lives, not only here, but throughout our community, uh, throughout our culture. We had a pastor here from Wisconsin last night who went on and on and talked about how this church has made such a difference in his life and in his ministry in Wisconsin. You know, so it's just kind of, it's a little embarrassing to hear that. I didn't even know that, but it's just good to be a part of something that, that matters. And that's what you are when you're here. There are other reasons to come though. Uh, sometimes I come because of something that's heavy on my heart. And it might be something I'm facing, it might be something my wife is facing, or one of my children, it doesn't matter how old your children are, you know, mine are 40 now. I like to say those are kids that Carol had by her first marriage. <laughs> I was her first marriage and her only marriage, i just throwing that out there for you. But... Uh, you know, so sometimes I'll, I'll come and I'll have that on my mind and, and I just pray for a word, either in the song or in a message that would speak to me and, and, and help clarify for me the thing that I'm facing that's, that's just occupying my time. And, and sometimes they don't touch on that at all. But I'm still in God's house and I'm God's child. And it's great to come home and, and just sit down and just say, you know, regardless of what's going on in worship, just 
to say, Father, can you just listen for a minute because I want to pour something out. You know, it could be in the middle of a song. Y'all could be singing, uh, you know, different lyrics completely. doesn't matter because I'm in communion with God. And it's just, it's just a special place, a special time. So why did you come to worship? There's, there's even another reason, and I think it's become for me the more significant of all the reasons that I come to church, and that's because of the surprise factor. You know, God has something he wants to share with me that isn't even on my radar. And uh, in the course of a message or in the course of a song, you know, he captures my attention. Um, There's a scripture that says we should expect such a thing. It's from Hebrews 4 verse 12. The word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. You know the metaphor here. It can penetrate down to your soul, down to your spirit, down to your joint, your marrow, your inner being. It will judge your thoughts and your attitudes. It'll, it'll reveal things to you. It'll capture your attention. Uh, it will direct you in ways that you had not anticipated. That's the thing that God's word does. And when we gather here and hear God's word, that's going to happen to us. In fact, that's become my chief reason for worshiping, you know, because God has a word for me and I'm just praying that I would be open to it. So let's just stop and do that now. Lord, we may come with different reasons. We may come because there's just a huge burden on my heart and I just need to be in your house. I need to be gathered in a spiritual place. I need to be where your spirit dwells, where two or more are gathered, you are gonna be in their midst. And, and I need to be surrounded by Christian music and Christian friends and a Christian word. But Lord, I also wanna have an open heart. I come with my agenda, Lord, but it's your agenda that I need most. And I pray, Lord, that, that you would touch me in a way that that would honor you and would bless me because you are an all-knowing father and you know exactly what I need at this moment in life. This I pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Our uh, reading today is an example of that very thing. It's from Mark chapter two. It's a, it's a great story. There's, there's a lot to be taught here. I'm gonna try to focus my words, but uh, it's about a surprise that occurs in a number of people's lives. They came for one reason, and God responded with a different purpose. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. Interesting, it it indicates that Jesus' uh, center of operation was Capernaum, which is a, a major fishing village or city, one of the larger villages, on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. We were just there in January with some people, and uh, they have uncovered a house that was obviously a fisherman's house because of the things that they found there. But it was also, obviously, from early on, a, a place of worship because they found so many individual lamps there, and more than anybody would need. And, and they believed that it was a place where Christians gathered to worship, and many believed that it was probably Peter's house. It's very close to the synagogue. And so they came there because they heard that Jesus was there. They gathered in such large numbers at that house that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And Jesus was teaching them, you know, God's ways, God's word for them. Some men came to him, bringing a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get near to Jesus because of the crowd, they went up on top. They, they often, because of the climate there, uh, had patios on top of their houses where they would sleep in the evening often because it would be cooler. And they made an opening in the roof 
by digging through it, and they lowered the man that was lying on, their, uh, on his pallet. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. When some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. No one can forgive sins except God alone. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, so why are you thinking that way? Which is easier to say to a paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven? Of course, that would be harder because no one can do that except God. But anybody could say that. And so Jesus was making a point. Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say to a man who's paralyzed, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to even forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And so the man got up, he took his mat and he walked out in full view of the entire crowd. And this amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. They came for an obvious reason. The man was paralyzed and his friends brought him to Jesus because they had heard that he was able to do miracles. They heard that he was a healer and that he had powers from the Father in heaven and Jesus forgave his sins. Makes you wonder what they must have thought. We know what the religious leaders thought. They thought this man's blaspheming. He's dealing with things that no one has a right to discuss unless you are God. And he's obviously not God. You know, he has earthly roots here. We know where he comes from. We know his family. We know his friends. We know he lives here. He's blaspheming. Does it make you wonder what his friends thought? I mean, they went to all this trouble of bringing this paralyzed man to Jesus for an obvious reason. They cared so much about him, what great friends he had, that they wanted him to be healed. And Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. They must have looked at each other and said, you know, it's pretty obvious what he needs here, Lord. You know, it's nice that you care about him, but he needs to be healed. And then what about the man on the stretcher? We don't know what he might have thought. Maybe he was moved to tears. Maybe the bigger issue in his life was an issue of sin, of shame, of guilt. And when Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven, he actually touched a more important issue in that man's life than his paralyzed nature. You know, maybe he burst out crying, thinking, finally, someone who sees beyond my physical limitations to my greatest need. We just don't know. But we do know that Jesus knew. And he was able to look into this man's heart and see exactly what he needed. This we know, it was unexpected, and this we know, that spiritual health matters. It matters more than most of us think. And at the heart of spiritual help is the issue of forgiveness. To be right with God, to know that there's nothing that stands between me and my heavenly Father, means that he will go with me in life and that he will bless me. He's the one who made heaven and earth. He has all authority. And he loves me and he accepts me. And so whatever I'm facing, I know he will be in it with me. And if he's allowing me to endure some difficulty, 
it doesn't mean that he can't deal with it. It means he's going to use that in some way to bless me. But it might come as a surprise. You know, I, I have a habit of um, cruising bookstores, and, and uh, I love to pick up used books and don't go looking for anything special except a, a true story. And I love especially stories that, that uh, are about a person who lived, you know, a number of decades. Because as I listen to him go through these experiences, I can recall those decades that I experienced myself. It, it might be a book about Billy Joel, uh, recently, Freddie Mercury with the movie that's been out. And, and in this case, it was Pat Summerall. You know, uh, you probably don't recognize him here. But um, he was 10 years in the NFL before he became a, a sportscaster, a Hall of Fame sportscaster. In fact, he was the voice of the Masters Golf Tournament in Augusta, Georgia for 27 years. You know, that, that calming voice that would walk, you know, the, the audience through what was unfolding at one of the major golf tournaments in our country. Uh, he also, along with John Madden, uh, eight Super Bowls with John Madden, 16 overall, and hundreds of other NFL games. And I thought, well, this will be an interesting read because uh, he's going to relate all the inside stories about NFL teams, NFL coaches, golf players that I know for 40 years. And so it will be interesting for me to read, not just because of Summerall, but because of, uh, because of his lifespan. But there were so many surprises in the book, just like this man was surprised that Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven, or his friends were surprised. Uh, I was surprised by this book. You know, he has an incredible story. In fact, before he was even born, his father uh, abandoned his mother before he was even born. And then he was born with a foot that was turned the wrong way. Now, this was the late 40s. And uh, a doctor said, I think I can fix that. A family practitioner said, I think I can fix that. Just let me break your baby's foot, turn it around, put it in the cast, and I'm sure he'll walk just fine. What an incredible thing to do back then. You know, today uh, we would expect that, you know, specialists could do such a thing, but a family practitioner? And so they did. And he struggled for a while, but he became, you know, a world-class athlete. In fact, already in high school, he was recognized as a world-class athlete. His mother uh, didn't want to mess with him anymore at age three, and she was going to put him in an orphanage. But her sister said, we can't do that. And so she... Uh, adopted that child but she couldn't raise the child because she had other children as well and so he was raised by his grandmother in a one bedroom tiny tiny house with no indoor plumbing in the northern parts of Florida incredible story eventually became recruited as a football player to the University of Arkansas and then into the NFL you would have thought, if he's going to tell his story, I, I wanted to read it because of all the life experiences he had and then because of all the people that he knew. But you know what happened? When I opened the book and read the first chapter, he talked about an event that occurred in 2002. It was an alcoholic intervention by his family and by his friends. He put that in the opening chapter. You would have thought people would just shut the book and say, I don't, I don't need this kind of stuff. But it was the most important thing that ever happened to him. In fact, this is what he wrote about it. He said, the intervention was gut-wrenching, heartbreaking, and profoundly embarrassing. The most embarrassing thing that ever happened in my life. 
but I will be forever grateful for it, even though I still deal with the painful feelings every time I recall it. But he talked about how that turned his life around. He said, I had alienated so many of my friends in my life, and I had alienated my family. My, my children would not even see me anymore, and I was detached from my grandchildren. And he said, I'm grateful that that experience gave me the opportunity to receive their forgiveness and to be accepted back into their lives. And it's forever changed my life. Spiritual health is the basis for every other thing that you must deal with in life, but we don't tend to deal with it as the most significant and most important thing. He said, my first for alcohol was replaced by a thirst for the knowledge of my God and what he has done for me. Acceptance by God, acceptance by your family, acceptance by your friend is more important than all the material things that you may achieve and the success that you may think is just driving you in life. But by virtue of being human, we tend to be temporal beings. We tend to care more about the here and now than about the eternal than about our relationship with God. But our relationship with God gives us confidence to face every other thing. And God sees in us what we fail to see. You know, when this man was brought into Jesus and lowered in front of him, it was so obvious to everybody what needed to be done here. He needed to be healed. And God said, son, your sins are forgiven. That's your greatest need. And perhaps that man knew that. And it forever changed his life. And he said, oh, by the way, because you doubt that I can do that, go ahead take up your mat and walk away. What he also sees is things that we think are unimportant. I was was sitting in church here uh, just a couple weeks ago. Pastor Garrett was preaching, and I remember he was touching on some things, and I thought, it's interesting. There are people in here who are facing loneliness, people in here who are facing medical issues, people in here who are facing insecurities, people in here who are facing addictions, people in here who are facing relational trauma, and, and they discount those as not all important in terms of the world. I mean, what are my problems compared to the world's problems, and why would God care? But God cares. He looks into your life, and he knows that's your issue. And what father, what mother doesn't care about things that are you know, uh, off-putting to their child that's got their child distracted, that's got them all balled up and not able to be free and and to love and, and to enjoy all the things that he intends for them to love, experience, and to enjoy. It matters to God. It's interesting as we take a look at this text, the first observation I saw was that it wasn't the faith of the paralyzed man that brought him to Jesus. It wasn't. You remember the text? The text says some men came bringing him to Jesus. I would say kicking and screaming, but he was paralyzed. So maybe just screaming and cursing, you know, maybe he didn't want to come. Maybe his friends say, you know, I don't know what you think, but it can't hurt you to go and see this man. It might even help you. So what have you got to lose? But it doesn't say that his faith was so impressive. It says, since they could not get close to him, they went up on the roof, they dug the opening, and they lowered him to where Jesus was. And when Jesus saw, not his faith, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, your, sons are for, your sins are forgiven. Man, that's striking. 
You know, who do you know? What friend do you have that's going through hell, that's going through some crisis of all the type, type I've mentioned and maybe some that I haven't mentioned? And you know that Jesus could do something for him. You know that God could change his life, but he doesn't want to have anything to do with God or she doesn't want to have anything to do with Jesus. So? You're the Lord's ambassador in their life. What have you got to lose? When's the last time you prayed? When's the last time you went to a Bible study? Why don't you come to my Bible study? What can it hurt? You know, your situation is so messed up. You know, why don't you come to church with me? Why don't you at least give it a chance? Why don't you give Jesus an opportunity to touch your life? Because he's touched my life and he's changed my life. It wasn't the faith of the man. It was the faith of the man's friends that brought him to Jesus and forever changed his life. It says to me that we have a responsibility to our friends because we know the Lord and creator of all things. We know the fixer. And we can bring our friends to his grace and to his favor. The essence of Christianity is is forgiveness. It really is. A lot of people don't know that. They think it's do-goodism, like you're a good Christian. You know, go see that auto mechanic. Deal, hire this contractor. Go to this doctor because she's really a good Christian person or he's really a good Christian. That just means that, you know, they won't cheat you. You know, being a good Christian has nothing to do with your behavior. You know, I I would hope that Christians have good behavior, but it's a result of their faith. It's uh, It's not in place of their faith. You know, we all know people who aren't Christian who have great behavior too. It's not do-goodism. It's not even to show you what you must do to please God. You know, if, if you go to church, if you get your kids baptized, if you get them, you know, instructed in the faith, if they get married in the church and they get buried in the church, then chances are, you know, they'll be okay with God. They'll be acceptable to him. That's, that's not the Christian faith. It's not what you must do to please God. The Christian faith is what God has done to make you pleasing outside of you because he loved you. He sent Jesus Christ to die for you and to grant you the same thing he granted that paralyzed man. Son and daughter, your sins are forgiven. You and I are square. You can count on me to be in your life. And I hope that you'll count on that faith. I hope you'll act on that faith. And I, and I hope you'll live your life believing that I'm behind you and that I love you and that there's no separation between us anymore. The essence of the Christian faith is forgiveness. But it's not an easy thing, you know, to have that kind of sway, to say, I've received forgiveness, so I want to forgive others. But isn't that what the Lord says? We pray it in in the prayer, the family prayer, the Lord's prayer. You know, forgive us our trespasses as, how's it go? As we forgive others. Wow, not optional activity there. You know, forgive me the way I forgive others. I would hope that you're a forgiving person because you need that in your life. I would hope that people find that in you as much as you hope to find it in the Lord. But you say, how can I forgive? You know, I can't deny that this person hurts me. Forgiveness is not a denial of wrong. Yeah, you were wronged. You were hurt. It's not a denial. To forgive somebody doesn't mean that you're saying it doesn't matter or that I wasn't really hurt by that. I was hurt by that, but I'm going to rise above because the Lord has given me a spirit of forgiveness. It's not even a denial of the damage that remains. You know, if 
if your family was struck by a drunk driver and somebody precious in your life was either killed or maimed for life, forgiving that person won't change that. You still have to deal with that. It doesn't deny that. Forgiveness is a hard thing, and I'm not questioning that it isn't, but it's not optional. I don't know if you read this book, The Shack. If you haven't, you should. Every Christian person should read the book. It's, it wasn't even written to be published. It was written by a man who wanted his children to understand the grace of God and wanted, him to under, wanted them to understand the, the essential nature of living a life of forgiveness because they had been forgiven. And it's a novel. It's not a true story. And I'm not saying it's inspired, but it is insightful. It's about a man named McKinsey. He's called Mac in the book who uh, took his three children on a weekend adventure because his wife had a pressing engagement. And he said, not to worry, I'll, I'll take the kids to a place we all love to go. We can swim, get in the water, and enjoy ourselves. And, and so he, he took them there, and, and he noticed his two older children were in a canoe, and the canoe tipped over, and his, uh, his son wasn't a great swimmer, and he feared he would drown. And so he dove in the water and swam out to, to save his son, and he did. But when he got back, he noticed that his toddler girl... His little girl, precious little girl, Missy, was missing. And they searched all over for her and never found her. She had been abducted. Now, forgive somebody who would abduct a toddler. And it turns out as you read the story that he was a pedophile. And he not only sexually abused that man's daughter, but he also killed her. How could you forgive somebody like that? What a gut-wrenching thing. I can't imagine anything harder than that. And in the story, he receives a note in his mailbox, and he's encouraged to go to this place, the shack, and there he discovers the bloody address that his daughter had on the day she was abducted, and he realizes what has happened. And he has an encounter uh, with God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's interesting, and and it's all metaphorical, but it's fascinating to read the discussion, and I think it's very insightful and, and very helpful. And here's how some of it goes. The Father says, Mac, you need to forgive that guy. Mac says, how can I forgive that monster who killed my missy? He uses a stronger phrase than that to describe him, but because of your sensitivity, I just will stick with monster. You would probably call him worse. If I can't have justice, I want revenge. We'd all feel that way. And the father says to him, but he too is a son of mine, and I want to redeem him. Max says, I don't want you to redeem him. I want you to hurt him, to punish him, to put him in hell. I can't forget what he has done. And the father says, forgiveness is not about forgetting Mac. It is about letting go of another person's throat. Forgiveness is first for you, the forgiver, to release you from something that will eat you alive, that will destroy your joy and your ability to love fully and openly. Forgiveness does not require you to pretend what he did never happened. How could you? You can't. You never forget that. You wake up in the middle of the night thinking about that. McKinsey, forgiveness does not excuse anything. Believe me, the last thing this man is is free. He's not free. And it is not your duty to find justice in this. Let me do that. Man, that is such a huge 
such a huge concept and it's so essential to our ability to forgive. It's not your job to bring justice into a situation. You need justice. You deserve justice. God says, let me, your father, deal out the justice. Don't you trust me to do that for you? I will handle it. Forgiveness, Mac, is an incredible power, a power you share with us, the Trinity, a power Jesus gives to all in whom he indwells so that reconciliation can grow. You know, that, that's from the shack, but here's from the scripture. Romans 12, verse 19. I'm sorry, it's not on the screen. Never take your own revenge, but leave room for the justice of God. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. It's not a small thing. It's not a small thing to say, God, deal with this. You know, I, I'm not going to deal with it. They'd put me in jail if I had to deal with this. But Lord, uh, I'm going to leave it with you. I'm going to, because you forgave me sins that would condemn me to hell, I'm going to forgive this person. And I'm going to just ask, Lord, that you would deal with it. David, in my mind, is a perfect example of this. King Saul uh, tracked him down, tried to kill him many, many times. And, and David had the opportunity to take Saul's life on a number of occasions. And he refused to do it. And he refused to let anybody else do it for him. But then uh, when he was safe distance from Saul, he'd say, Saul, I could have killed you today. That spear that was next to your bed, I put it there. The hem of your garment here when you came into the cave, you know, I have it in my hand. I could have slain you when you were in the cave. I was there with you hiding. Let God judge between you and me. And God did. God took care of it. Did you trust God enough to do that? The one who died for you? The one who rose again? The one who calls you child? Do you trust God to do justice for you? We are most like God when we are forgiving of others. It's true what the religious leader said. Only God can forgive sins. And those to whom God has given the authority. He's given you that authority. He's given you that authority to forgive other people. Because you know the source of forgiveness. Whosever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Whosever sins you retain, they are retained. Now, even in the retention of sins, if you look at that section of Scripture, it's not to punish them, it's not to make them squirm, it's to help them realize the seriousness of their sin. The church will say, you know, you need to repent. You need to accept again the forgiveness of God. You need to lay that sin before the cross. So it's not to punish Only God can forgive sins and those to whom God has given the authority. There's an incredible passage, you can write it down, uh, Colossians 3, 12 to 15. It says, as God's chosen people, and that's who you are, holy and loved by God, clothe yourselves. Here's, Here's sway. Here's power in your life. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if you have a grievance against someone. And don't we all? We all have reasons and they're justifiable. Forgive as the Lord God has forgiven you. Not conditionally, unconditionally. And over all of these virtues put on love which binds them together in perfect unity and let then the peace of Christ, isn't that what we want? Shalom, wholeness, peace. The peace of Christ overwhelm my life 
Since as members of one body, we are called to experience shalom, peace, wholeness. And then you will be thankful. If you can't do this, those who refuse to forgive and those who refuse to accept forgiveness have one thing in common. You know what it is? They remain paralyzed. It's interesting the metaphor that they use for this story, and I'm sure it's a true story, but uh, he was a paralyzed man. There are things besides accidents and, and back trouble that can paralyze a person. And so many people are paralyzed by situations that have changed, a broken relationship, the loss of a job, uh, the unbelievable loss of an, invest, of an investment that, that makes your future uh, unstable. There are so many things that could just paralyze people, and I often wonder, why can't, why can't people move on? Why can't people believe uh, that God will stand with them through this trial and that, and that he will bring some good about this? If you can't receive God's forgiveness and if you can't extend God's forgiveness, then you will be forever paralyzed. There's a, a friend of uh, Pastor Deanna and mine, uh, and, and Pastor Doug as well, uh, that we meet with occasionally. And he told us the other day a story about his daddy and his mama. And uh, his dad committed adultery early in their marriage. And uh, he was forever sorry about it, confessed it to his wife, and uh, she could never forgive him. She made his life a living hell and made the kid's life a living hell, made their whole house a living hell. And even after he died, she was still bitter and still affected by that wrong. And he said, I often said to mom, do you realize what this is doing to you? You know, you are in a prison of your own making because you cannot extend forgiveness nor receive forgiveness. God's intention is that you would rise above. It doesn't mean it didn't happen. It doesn't mean you weren't harmed by it. But God doesn't want you to live that way. Better that they would have divorced and, and, and found peace with God and lived their life, you know, fully uh, experiencing the joy and the adventure that God intended for them than to live in bitterness and hatred. So how do we go about doing that? It's true in the scripture and it's true in every good counsel that I've ever received or or given is that feelings follow actions. You know, you can't make your heart feel something that it won't, but you can go through the process of saying, you know, hey, I forgive you. Maybe that's writing a letter or maybe that's just uh, walking up to somebody, uh, finding a way to communicate to them that, you know... uh, I've been forgiven by God and I'm able, you don't even have to go through all the theology, but you do have to go through the practice of saying you are, you are forgiven. And when you do that, uh, you'll feel a relief that you didn't think was possible because of the hurt that you felt. I've even had people, you know, write letters to, to a father who was long dead, who abused them as a child because it's therapeutic just to write that letter just to express that in an objective way, bring the letter to me. Or you may not want to mail it to the person because, you know, it would only create more trouble and you realize that, you're objective enough to know that. But you still need to go through the procedure. It seems impossible, but nothing is impossible with God. 
There are situations that seem impossible if somebody has died or somebody won't receive your forgiveness or, or you don't want to create an upset in somebody else's life. I get that. They are unavailable for you to confess. There are other things that you can still do. You can take it to the Lord in prayer. You can say, Lord, help me with this. You know, I struggle with this. I'm a human being. I've been hurt. You know, help me to rise above. I know that's what you want me to do. I'm struggling to do it. Lord, answer my prayer and move in my heart by your Holy Spirit to enable me to be uh, the kind of reflection of the forgiveness I've received in you. The other thing you can do is share it with a trusted Christian friend. It doesn't have to be a pastor. Back in the day, everybody wanted to go confess to their pastor. Uh, Your pastor may not be all that trustworthy. Uh, find somebody that you trust, somebody that knows you and somebody that you can talk to and just share that. Say, you know, I was hurt in this way and, and uh, I just need to share that with somebody and I need you to tell me that I'm still loved, that I'm still valuable in God's sight and that I'm forgiven and, and uh, help me and, and encourage me to be that kind of person to others. And then finally, uh, engage in true worship. You know, I ask you, why do you come to worship? You know, one of the reasons that you should come to worship is to just lay it before God and say, God, you know, just as I am without one plea, you know, receive me and heal me so that I might be a healing force, so that I might have sway in your world. Well, just to close this out, let me just ask you to rise and let's go through a, a practice of, uh, of accepting and remembering the forgiveness that we have from the Lord. It's a common thing that we do in this church, and it's for this reason, because spiritual health matters, and forgiveness is the essential nature of spiritual health, and it enables you to to move out into your relationships, it enables you to move out into a job search, it enables you to engage in life with confidence, because there's nothing that stands between you and God. You know, if God is for you, who can be against you, the Bible says. And through forgiveness, we know that God is for us. So let me ask you before God, who searches the heart and who knows everything about you, just like he knew about this paralyzed man, do you acknowledge the mistakes that you've made, the people that you've hurt, the wrong that you've done? And and do you confess that before God? If so, say, this I confess. This I confess too. I've not been a perfect person. And do you believe that God, because of Jesus Christ because of what he did on the cross, that he not only has the power to heal, but he has the power to forgive. If so, say this, I believe. And are you resolved, so long as God prolongs your life, to live the remainder of your life to his fear and glory, with the help of God, say yes, with God's help. God help us all to accomplish this. The Bible says that if we refuse to acknowledge our sins, We make God out to be a liar and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, he is so quick and he is so ready to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Leave the church today knowing that you have been forgiven in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go make a difference with that knowledge in your relationships and in the confidence with which you approach life. Amen. God's peace. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for this day. I thank you for these musicians. I thank you for the vocalist and and for all that involves in worship that enables me to come into communion with you. Lord, you have blessed me beyond measure. Help me to be a blessing to others. I pray in Christ. Amen.